Welcome to the Twilight Conversations. My name is Dee. And my name is Jimmy. This is a podcast exploring human relationships, the human psyche, and that elusive space between the dark and the light. So, welcome to the Twilight Conversations. And today we have, well, this evening we have actually, if I'm going to be accurate, how do I describe our guest as I'm doing another interview today? To say he's daring, yeah, yes. Is he a bit crazy? Yes. Is he a bit magical? He certainly is. Beautiful, without a shadow of a doubt. Creative, no question about it. But maybe he'll introduce himself. Today we have Dean Scurry. The alchemist. The alchemist. Alchemist. Alchemical. <laughs> the Dean, alchemist. You're Terry very McMahon welcome. actually introduced me as the alchemist once. <laughs> Which is interesting. Who did? Uh, Terry McMahon. He's one of the guys that I, I got him involved in one of my crazy schemes. Oh, okay. He's a film director. There's been many crazy schemes, hasn't there? Anyway, great to be here. Thanks for the introduction. You're very How welcome. How did you introduce me again? Do you remember or you just make that shit up? <laughs> Don't say it all again. Crazy. You said crazy. I like that one. Crazy, yeah. Good crazy, yeah. He's a bit crazy, I'm honest. He's obvious. Fuck. I like the voices that you do. I uh, mentioned that to you, uh, earlier on when we were chatting. Yeah. You do these little... Uh, do I? Uh, all right, pal. I have no idea about you, that. You have these little English... Um, he's a cunt. <laughs> he's a... He's a rock cunt. English kind of uh, public service announcement voices. Oh, that one, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, today we'll be experiencing a little bit of uh, turbulence. Yes. Just to interrupt this broadcast for a moment, uh, Dean Scurry is very infectious, I might tell you. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that? You like that? <laughs> Infectious, like yeah. uh, uh, a scab or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So something kind of more, more uh, kind of creative and lovely and inspiring, infectious. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for uh, bringing me into your world, into your podcast. Mm. It's they're, they're interesting things, podcasts. They really are. So to give our listeners an idea of Dean Scurry, right? I mean... I could consider you a friend, although we, we don't always meet each other. We've got Ballymun in common. We've got mutual friends. We're interested in similar things. But when Dean came in this evening, before we actually started to record, and we hadn't really spoken to each other for quite a long time, we hadn't seen each other for quite a long time, after hugging and greeting and all that really nice stuff, we started chatting. Dean's doing yoga on the floor. He's stretching. He's moving around. The conversations are flying. We were having better conversations then than we probably have now, you know. But I thought, what a way, you know, how free is someone in themselves? You're very um, uninhibited. Yeah, Dean. I tried being inhibited. It doesn't suit me. It takes um, a lot of effort, doesn't it? It doesn't, um, it doesn't equate to a long-term survival strategy. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do indeed. You're all kind of tense and overly self-conscious and mm -hmm. not honest and not free, you kind of get bound up in your own little bullshit. Right. So I like to go from hello to existential in the quickest time that's comfortable for both of us. Right. Warp we'll speed. We'll push it a little bit. Yeah, you like pushing the own envelope, don't you? You know, because I think why not? Um, you know, we can try and sit in a room and like ignore each other, mm -hmm. which we, which as humans, we do that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, in family situations or in governments or in whatever, work situations. Mm. Yeah. But I find it much more invigorating and interesting when get in, have the kind of customary greeting, 
try and look in somebody's eyes, give mm-hmm. them a hug, mm-hmm. and then let's go. Let's get down to the real stuff. Yeah. Let's get down to the bleeding. Let's get down to the twilight conversation. Let's get down to the twilight conversation. <laughs> Very good. And this season is still trauma and addiction. And, and the last podcast, we had a mutual friend, Glenn, was with us talking around that subject. And your name came up as well. And I thought, absolutely, Anne O'Connor recommended yourself. That bollocks, scurry. No way. No. But uh, it was the obvious kind of choice when I thought about it to have. And I was just thinking, Dean, in all your experience going back to Ballymun all the years, I mean, I worked there in the 80s as well. I couldn't really say you're a community worker, but you are a community worker. How, how would you, I gave you an intro, how would you describe yourself, even in terms of your work or your passion or what you're about? Yeah, I think a community worker is a little bit limiting. Very limiting for you. You know, or youth worker or whatever, those types of, like I've done youth work and community work. Mm-hmm. But you get one chance at this. I'm trying to do everything, you know. Um, you mean one chance on the planet living? Yeah, well, you know, apparently. Hi. We came from somewhere. We're here. And just like home star and more, when it's gone, it's gone. Right. So while you're here, turn it up to 11 and throw your hand at everything. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so I, in, I'm, I'm really interested and fascinated by community, by the system dynamic vibes of community. What happens? When you do stuff communally, that's cool. kind of the essence of what I like to do, doing shit with people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, setting up interesting projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I set up a record label in Ballymoon called Working Class Records, because why wouldn't you, you know? And that's a real Dean Scurry-ism, yeah. you know what I mean? Who else on the planet, not necessarily would think about uh, doing a setting up a record label in Ballymun called Working Class Records. It's the other bit that you said, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for someone to tap us on the shoulder and go, you get a second go at life. Okay. You know? Uh, so I, from day one, when I came out of my... uh thought you said coming out as a, as a gay man? As a... I'm very effeminate, but I'm not definitely not gay. Uh, but when I came out into this world, from wherever I was, and that's an interesting thing. Where were we before we were here? Mm-hmm. Kind of have don't don't have any real sense of where it was. It's probably similar to the place where we're going. Okay, but we get all caught up in the existential angst of it. Mm-hmm. But if we just kind of step back a little bit and go, you know, you're not really not that important. It's it's un, it's all not going to collapse once you pass away mm-hmm. because it all didn't like all wasn't collapsed before you were here. Yeah. So you come in. So from day not. I was self-aware. I remember my baptism in okay. St. Papa's Church. And then at about the age of seven, I started to uh, st- to start on the path of resolving my existential angst or existentialism. And you were thinking that at seven? Yeah, yeah. I've thought about it every day since. Um, so at a, then at about... So I used to have this thing that my brothers and sisters and my parents would remember. I would scream at night, mm. I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And I'd go in and I'd wrap myself around my mother and our bosom and all that. Mm. Just kind of feel that mm, motherly love. Um, since then, I've learned to become a bosom to myself, which is an interesting journey to go on. So like than, self-care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-soothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, 
dependent on your mother's love and then you become independent so where do you find the love and I think sometimes we get in Irish say Catholic culture we get matched there's a there's a woman you're going to marry you're going to have the house and that's where you're going to find the love mm-hmm. you know um so then at about the age of 12 probably a little bit before that I was in school I was an altar boy mm. I was kind of really into that wanted to be a priest like most I would imagine um sensitive young guys in the 80s in Ireland what was it about being a priest being a sensitive young man that we were we were we were sold the the beautiful myth of uh, Christianity and Jesus. Mm. It was stunning. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, what, a, you know, what a lovely story. Um, but later on, me, like my me mom would have given me different books on Rastafariism and Hinduism. And I learned that there's other stories. I kind of went... Oh, they cheated us a little bit, didn't they? They only told us that one story. Is that because we were born on this ship and not that ship over there? Or right. You know what I mean? So I kind of explored all that. And I got a few really nice books uh, from like guys like Anthony DeMello and mm. John Powell. Mm. Uh, Awareness and how, why am I afraid to love? Mm. Uh, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Those types of books. I was talking about that book earlier on. Stunning. If anyone gets a chance, get those books. They're really stunning. And anybody... At any age, seven, eight, nine, fifteen, sixty, read them. The John Powell ones are just like little pamphlets. They're not even books like And the interesting thing, why the conversation happened, Dean, around John Powell was um we were, we were chatting it was actually a therapy session with someone we were chatting about that similar stuff, right? And uh the guy was referring to someone else who was maybe disgraced by something, some other guy. I said, Well that's interesting because John Powell has since been, there's been like, he's dead, but there's been rumours that he was, he abused somebody. Or that, or that. I don't know how true that is, but that doesn't make his work not good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, you know we're talking about Kevin Spacey now, he's just char- he's facing charges and he may well have done that and whatever, whatever. It doesn't make him not a great actor, you know. So it's like, don't shoot the messenger. But Powell was one of the first to start writing those type of books. Yeah, in the yeah. 60s. And that, that opens up a whole different kind of conversations that we maybe can go down as in, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, how um, infallible do you have to be, you know, uh-huh. in order for your life to have any, of, or had any use or purpose or utility around, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Do you have to be this Jesus figure? Is that's what if that is that what is required, or where does our humanness come in and our uh, our faults and our fallibility? So also then you know the counter to that, but can we be tolerant? Can we be more forgiving? Can we be? I'm not talking about like letting people away with shit, and not calling it. Of course we need to do that, but uh, you were doing something there. You're on about pointing the finger, and the finger's pointing back at you. Yeah, yeah, you well, look, well, yeah. Can we make mistakes? Can we, as opposed to pointing the finger and judging other people, can we reflect on our own stuff? Can we forgive ourselves? All those those types of things. And those books, those early books that I read in my early teens, helped me, um, one, kind of get a spiritual intelligence, an emotional intelligence. Mm. um, And then it led me to a point, like I'm looking across the room here and I, I see 
a little doll in a Buddha pose. When I was 12, I was sitting on a sofa, very much in the position that I'm sitting now. Mm. And I had what would be called like a moment of enlightenment. Right. Where I closed my eyes, fell into the oneness of the universe and seeing a projection of myself forward and backwards throughout all time. Quite nice experience to have. Beautiful experience. You know? And of course, I'm sure you weren't able to describe it that way then. No, but I knew that's what it was. You knew that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's kind of like when you arrive home, you know you're home. Right. There's, there's nothing else required. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're uh, Dermot Bulger describes it when he was walking back to Finglas. Once he got to this specific corner, uh, he felt, oh, I'm home. So yeah. it was very familiar, and it was like yeah. a little tap on the shoulder going, remember this? Yeah. I used to get that walking home to Ballymun when I got to the library. Yeah, yeah, Just there yeah. and the, the flats come into sight. You'd be knackered climbing yeah. up those hills from, <laughs> from, uh, from town up. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all uphill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you well, get there and you go, right, I have enough energy to make it to my gaff now. I get up there. Yeah. hope the lift's working. <laughs> and that, that experience that you had when you were, say, seven, eight? Uh, so it started, the kind of angst, the existentialism, the fears, the crying out for some answer. You know, why do we have to die? Where do we go? Mm-hmm. Um was about seven. So the way it used to play out was, um, so I kind of, be, I kind of lean into this thing of uh, zero to seven, seven to 14, 14 to 21, 21 to 28, and so on. Hmm. as kind of like a pattern or a jump in your life. Okay, so please. zero to seven is you're uh, dependent. Um, you're coming from your mother and you're going up to seven years of age. And along those, that seven years, you get your first pet, your first fish or your first dog. And inevitably, the fish or the dog dies. Mm. And there's that conversation. Yeah. And that's the first conversation you've ever had about that. Okay. You haven't had one before. You know what I mean? So you were born, you got something that was also alive and it died. And you, for me, it went, well, if that dies, what else dies? Yeah. Do I die? Do I die? Do my parents die? And then you have that, those thoughts and you're thinking those thoughts out when you're seven years of age up until I was about 12 years of age. And then I kind of had that enlightenment moment and it helped resolve a good bit of it. Oh, it's not such a terrible thing that's going to happen because I'm just going to go back to where I came from into this oneness or this universe. And were you able to tell anyone about that experience at that time? I think I told me auntie, I think I said it to her, I think she was in the room looking at me right. as it was happening. Right. Yeah. How did that go? How did she receive? I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. Maybe I might talk about, I'm due to have a good conversation with her soon, so maybe I okay. might sit down and say, do you remember that moment we were sitting in the house in Ballymore and this thing happened? Like kind of, I don't know what I looked like. I remember I used to have these like little petty mal uh, fits I think they were like anxiety kind of things and I everything had slowed down and I'd look out the window and the whole thing had just slowed down okay it must have looked like that from the outside because I was just like sitting on a sofa in like a, a lotus position just going <laughs> right okay extraordinary yeah. yeah yeah so from say 7 to 12 I would have had that so then from 12 like at 10 years of age um, I was living in Ballymone it was like yeah. 1983 84 I was into uh, all types of mad shit. As I, I was describing this to you earlier on, I had a skinhead, a pair of Doc Martin boots, yeah. a Honda 50 and a, a machete down the side of one of the boots. As you and do. we were out robbing 
anything, factories and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had youth work uh, was kind of starting in Ireland. Mm. Uh, I was starting in Ballymun anyway. Mm. And um, I think Ballymun was way ahead. I said this on the last Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I know I'm pro Ballymun, but it was way ahead in community work and youth work. Well, it was, it was, like the way my parents described it, it was like utopia. It was like this utopian place, this future place, mm. you know, with constant hot water, mm. views of the mountains. Um, when we lived in a tarot block and a, and a flat and a house in Ballymun. Mm. Not uh, at the same time. Not at the same time. <laughs> we went, what's that? Uh, <laughs> time traveling around the place. Yeah. Come on. Uh, so to, I think for my parents, moving to Ballymun mm. was like a progressive idea. Yeah. As opposed to, we'll just stay down in Sheriff Street in East Wall. That's mm. where my folks were from. Oh, okay. Or I think they, they actually, they rented a room over the Temple Bar in Temple Bar. Right. And it wasn't like Temple Bar is no. now. Full of, uh, Expensive tourists and seventeen euro points against. It was deserted back then. Oh, it was it was a shit. It was a shit owl. Yeah, fucking shit owl. Fucking shit. Yeah, it wasn't. It was like derelict. It was like most yeah. of Dublin. It was derelict. That's why they built Ballymun because the tenements were falling down. That's right. In the in the fifties and sixties, they built Ballymun in the sixties. Uh, this kind of space age European super project mm. it was the largest project of its type uh, that this state had ever built. And I found out today that the regeneration in Ballymun was the next largest one. They just completed the regeneration. Well, stopped doing it in Ballymun. Controversial. Yeah, yeah. At, a, at a cost of a billion euro. Mm-hmm. That was the largest single project that the, the state has ever carried out. Um, so yeah, Ballymun in the 80s, I was about 10, up to all types of mad stuff, listening to um, UB40 and Bob Marley. And then hip hop kind of came in. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it later, you know, about 10 years later, then setting up a hip hop uh, record yeah. label in Ballymun. And I interrupted you, you mentioned about the youth work starting. Yeah. So uh, we were wild and we were out just being typical 1980s Ballymun kids. Um, I used to greet people with a, with a headbutt, like a loaf. All right, bang. All right, pal, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> so we were just up the massive. There's actually a great photograph that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. And it's uh, me and I basically look like Oliver Twist in the thing. I'm just head to toe in muck and soot. Right. Right. I was like 10 years of age, just like, it was deadly. Yeah. Like we, you know, the old cliche, we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. Oh. It was deadly. It was amazing. Mm. Jam sandwich out the door. Out the door, batch loaf, yep. You wouldn't be back until the sun went down when you were freezing because you'd no t-shirt, you'd no jumper on, you know. So um, yeah, youth walk kind of started, and I met a guy in Ballymun called Sparky. He's a youth walker. Sparky. He's a youth walker there still to this day. If you're uh, from Dublin, especially from the north side, you'll probably know Sparky. Everyone knows Sparky. He's a, he's he's an amazing guy. He's he still indeed. doing youth walk in Ballymun. Um, so I'm doing youth walk about thirty odd years. I'm 49 now, so since I'm about 15, I was volunteering. Was it meeting Sparky inspired you? Yeah, so I met Sparky. We were doing all types of crazy stuff in the youth centre, boxing mm. and making box carts and, you know, bed frames with engines on them and all these types of things. And then we moved into a block of flats and we were doing wood carving and spray painting and just all types of great kind of stuff, hands-on stuff. And... But at the same time, stuff at home wasn't going great. 
uh, my parents were, they had six kids in the 80s in Ballymone. There wasn't much work. There was an awful lot of uh, drinking going on in, mm. in Ireland. Towers in Ballymone sold the most points of Guinness than any other pub in the country. That's right, yeah. There's a lot of drinking going on. And um, we kind of, as kids, we would have kind of got caught up in that a little bit. Yeah. So I remember going into the youth centre and I was a bit frustrated and Sparky kind of sensed it. Yeah. Now he was only like 16 years of age. Must, yeah. Um, yeah. God, he was that young starting. He was that young. Yeah. Like, I'm, I was a spare to you today and he's only like 50 something, 53 or something like that. He's been around so forever. He's only about four years, five years older than me. Right. But he's this, like you, Jimmy, for me, you would have been this like icon, hero figure when, when yeah. I would have seen you or heard about you in Ballymoan. Sparky was kind of like that. That's mad. He was it? a legend at like 16, you know? Uh, and you would have had that as well. So I'm tr- throwing that lovely Thank bit, you of very com- much. Bit, of a, bit of a compliment at you. I'll uh, take it. Thank you. So, so, yeah, he was about 16 and he was just saying to me, are you all right? Do you want to talk about something? And I was like, no, no I'm all right. Leave me alone, will you? He had an extraordinary gift, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Does yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not even know. doing what he said to me. It's, uh, you know what I mean? A good, a good service. Like, you know what I mean? The way he said that and the way he was able to leave a space for me to come into and, and open up and talk and express my emotions. And eventually I just start crying my eyes out going, Oh, Jesus, my head's wrecked. Which I now know as a youth worker, most teenagers are in that space. Yeah, which also translates as I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. My head's wrecked. I don't know what all these feelings are. I'm going through puberty. There's much mm-hmm. happening at home. They don't understand me in the school. A, B, C and D. Da, 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 da. You know? Uh, and he was just there to go, here's a little space for you to do what you have to do. Yeah, be what? you. So yeah. I just screamed and cried my eyes out. And from then, from that moment, I kind of went, wow, that, that was really helpful and useful. And I kind of uh, have been doing that for other people kind of since then, you know, giving people that space in, in all types of different ways. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Giving I mean, people that space just to go, my head's wrecked. I don't know what to do about it. What's the next step? You well, know? you were, Sure, you were talking about, you know, Sparky's legendary status, and rightly so. You had have the same. I mean, you've got an extraordinary reach for helping people, Dean, it, both in Ballymone and out around Ballymone. Travelling community, we'll come back to that in your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. T- you know, touch on that. But you really have, I mean, in community work, youth work, your, your tentacles, one for a better term, are really mm. far-reaching. Yeah. Um, and that kind of comes back to what we were doing in the youth centre, we were just trying out everything. Mm. Trying out different projects. Well, sure, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we get a load of BMXs, clean them up and cycle, cycle the Wicklow and see what the crack is and mm. try and find a hostel and that and that. Why wouldn't you try stand-up comedy for 10 years? Why wouldn't you run a record label in your own community? And then... Yeah, you, know, you did these things. And travel the world and, yeah. you know, go and play with all your heroes like Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel and Nas and Kanye and all these types of things, you know? Why wouldn't you? Why, why can't what we do be world class just because we have this um, label or stigma of a working class community called Ballymun? Yeah, I hear you. Know? you. So There's kind of a little bit of a hip hop punky kind of thing in there right. mixed with a tinge of, uh, you know, esoteric mysticism and, you know, universal oneness. Mm. It doesn't really matter, but let's go out and have a bit of crack anyway. 
So let me just be therapy and reflect yeah, back. Yeah, reflect let me back. reflect back. No, what you're saying is quite uh, extraordinary because you're managing to, in a conversation, integrate or pull together gritty working class life in a, a Dublin suburb like Ballymun in the 80s, 90s, whatever, right? Um, youth work, adolescence, the pain of adolescence, meeting an inspirational kind of youth worker as in Sparky, uh, recognising stuff going on at home, going through existential crisis, being very sensitive and aware as a young child, spiritually starting to evolve and ask questions, right? Uh, personal development, expansive universe, uh, politically really forward thinking, you know, really open. Yes, why can't we? All in, all in a sentence. Yeah, yeah. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> it is really good. It's interesting. So I, I, um, I think, so we have thoughts and feelings and emotions. Um, and what I think um, is kind of the purpose of, say, something like meditation is that we can put all of that stuff up there in front of us and see what the connections are and what they're, what have I mixed that and that and a little bit of this. And you can kind of, rather than just having thoughts, that you can think it out. Mm. Yeah. Or me Ballymun accent, rather than just having thoughts, you can think it out. Right. You can think it out. You can see it. So I can see all that up there as kind of like pictures. So that's the way, I, that's the way my brain works visually. Okay. I can see patterns and mathematics as well and music, but I can, I'm mainly good with kind of visualizing pictures of things and seeing the connections, seeing what parts of like in system dynamics, what parts I can take out and remove and, and twist and change and invert and subvert. So I kind of do that on the fly right. as a constant exercise, as a meditation, actually. It's quite, uh, again, unique and gifted. It's a beautiful way of seeing the world. I was going to ask you earlier on, you said, no, wait, we'll get into the podcast. Don't oh, get into yeah, it now. Having, as happens with podcasts, you so always we, have we, these. We talked for about an hour before. Before, and all the good stuff can be there. I was often, you know, you're a very passionate human being, right? Very, there's an energy off you that's like, you know, you, you wouldn't be tired in your company. You know what I mean? You'd be like, wait, you're stimulating and you're, you know, and you're questioning and you're, you're on. Um, and I'm sure our, our, our listeners can hear that in, in, mm -hmm. in what we're talking about. And I was wondering, what motivates this man? What, what lights his fire? What, you know, I know you've had these powerful experiences as a kid and we'll get into much more of all the other things that you've encountered in your life. Um, you know, within, we're in trauma and addiction and you've already, without having to name trauma and addiction, touched on huge amounts of that. Mm -hmm. But what, yeah, what gets you up in the morning? That's a question I often ask uh, It used to be inspiring potential in, in the world or in the system or in myself. Mm. But I see it all as, as, as one thing anyway. So the way I see the world is I and I, that you are I, I am you, mm -hmm. we're all just I. So Shakespeare described, when he done his plays, he had like, let's take one human, but split it up into 10 characteristics. And then you got your 10 characters. So I see the whole world as that. It's just 7 billion parts of the one thing, mm. just all broken up. So I'm looking always in that for different games and different potential in that system. So, in, I mean, in a more simple way of putting it, because there's a lot of complexity to what yeah, you're yeah. saying, 
you look for the similarities, not the differences? Would that be, or am I I just look track? to see, like, I have this thing that I'm kind of working with the travellers where if we, say, for example, their relationship with Dublin City Council, mm. if we play Dublin City Council's game by their rules, Dublin City Council always win. So I'm saying, well, can we create a new game or can we change the rules? So I'm always looking to change the rules and make different games and try different patterns in different ways. Absolutely. And every sentence you're saying, there could be a podcast on, right? Yeah, 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 right. absolutely. So there you are just casually with the travellers. So not everybody, rightly or wrongly, has a, a relationship with the travellers, the Irish travel community. We do, we do all have a relationship. It's just not the relationship that I have. That you have. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a much better way of putting it. People aren't aware of their relationship, but they don't know what their relationship is. But I've also a relationship with some travellers, traveller friends, through the work, through all different different areas. Um, not everybody has that. I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious as to, like you just threw it in real casually. Yeah, you know, yeah. the kind of, how do you have the kind of relationship with travellers that you have? Because they're a part of the system and I'm intrigued by all parts of the system. Okay. And I, you know, that might sound a little bit reductive, but it's not. I am fascinated and in awe of the beauty of all things. There's a great film out called All Things, Everything All at Once, Everywhere. I think that's the name of it. Mm. And it's kind of like, we're all connected. We're all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we set up these uh, myths or games that there are um, superior and inferior mm. elements. Yeah. For example, travelers would be seen in this country, in the context of the history of this country, as inferior. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that. Where did that come from? What does that perpetuate? What does that myth perpetuate? in our story. Why do we set it up like that? Absolutely. Can I check with you as well? Because my experience, you know, I remember being a kid and, and, and befriending travellers or them befriending me, not even thinking they're travellers, just naturally, you know, and remembering other kids having a reaction to that, you know, what are you hanging out with them for, you know? What's wrong with that, you know? Is that, I know what it's like to feel or to be seen as inferior. Sure, a lot of people do or to feel put down, that kind of feel. I'm not sure if it's a working class thing. I've certainly had that. Is part of that coming from that place in you as well? I know there's other reasons for, do you know what I mean? That connecting in with the being discriminated against or downtrodden or pushed or judged, or is it something completely different for you? It is and it isn't. Like I have the privilege of having relationships with, all of their perceived, um, you know, we have social uh, social mobility. Mm-hmm. All of the levels in our society. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah From harvies to presidents. Mm-hmm. So Michael D came out mm-hmm. the other day, and when I done Apollo House, they were the kind of conversations I was having with those types of people about our our, our society. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With 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 presidents and with company CEOs and but at the same time, having conversations with homeless people, because I see it all as the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not really about go for the underdog. I think the mere fact that you're alive, we're all in the same game. We're all in the same game. You know what I mean? We're all in the same, we're all in the same game. And it's, I'm fascinated by that. And I don't see any differences. I see a lot of similarities. I'm intrigued by... Okay, so you have you and you have me and you have the guy who's sitting in the room doing the sound and you have someone at home listening. Mm. We've got loads of things that connect us, and that, but we're all unique. Each one of us 
is so unique, so different. And that's just four people. Mm. And there's a lifetime of conversations between those four people. Never mind everyone else. Would this be a good segue, or it's not really, into acknowledging your podcast that you currently have out? Would you, do you want to mention that? I, so I'm doing a podcast at the moment. It's called A Traveller and mm. a Countryman because travellers in this country called settled people or people who aren't travellers. So anyone who's not a traveller, they call them a countryman or, or a settled man. Which yeah. It's kind of confusing. Isn't it? it can be confusing for people because you could be from the city, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, it's, it's, here's, an, here's, yeah. here's something that's uh, an analogy to that. Uh, Mexicans call anyone who's not Mexican gringo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same thing. The same We're thing. gringos in this country to travellers. Because they, and I kind of believe that they're, they're like forced people for me. They're Aboriginal. They're the Aborigines of Ireland. And if you're Irish uh, and you consider yourself Aboriginal, you came from that. Yeah, so we're all travellers really, aren't we? So I'm interested in where they're at at the moment, where they're at in relation to settled people, how we see them, why we perpetuate this myth that they're um, inferior, mm. but exposing all the time the similarities and the things we have that connect us mm -hmm. just to invite that challenge within ourselves. Why do we set it up like this? And But there's so much beauty in them. There's so much honesty, integrity, faith, uh, community, family, all that type of stuff. That's, and so I'm doing a podcast because that fascinates me. Yeah, 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 sure. And I have the privilege of being, in, of making myself available to that community but being invited into that community as well. It's it's quite an honour, isn't it, without being too powerful. It's stunning. It's if you stunning. get that invite, it's lovely, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's into any, Yeah. Yeah, I remember having that uh, also uh, in America, being invited into a kind of a, a, a Native American community. And I often feel the similarity. I, I went to a Poway in Chicago about 30 years ago, and it was amazing. I actually called the first podcast I'd done a powwow with Dean Scurry. I'd done about five or six episodes, right. but I wasn't ready at the time to continue it on. So um I've left it a few years, about four or five years, and now I'm doing this one. And I'm having much more fun and freedom with this one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you used the term there as well, I think you said, from, from Pavi to, what did you say? From presidents to Pavi. That was Pavi. And Pavi, even the way Pavi, a Pavi is also part of the canter, the gammon. It's yeah. a term that travellers use to describe themselves as Pavi. It's, you know, um, and what's the term? Buffers is also another term for Buffer. country oh, they, people. They, they call themselves minkier as well. Minker, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Minker, is it? Yeah. Which is also goes way back to a Hebrew term. An old ancient, is it? Yeah, Minker, yeah. There's a term there. I mean, great person or... or I'm so, fascinated by the etymology of words. Me too. And phrases. Me too. Where did that come from? How did yeah. it stick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. What's the origin of that? Okay. So, yeah, I've, I've heard the first couple of the podcasts that uh, Dean and Martin are doing. Oh, I'll give it a listen. Do, do. There, I tell you what, there's no other podcast in the country that has the voice of a traveller, 50-year-old traveller man on it. So give yourself, be kind to yourself and listen to her. Yeah. Yep. Here. Oh. So, Dean, there's so many avenues we can go down here. And I'm thinking, like, if I was to ask you, what's the relationship? Oh, we come to Apollo House as well. I knew that was in the back of my mind as well. For some of our listeners may know uh, Dean or may not know that was involved, not really involved, creator of the Apollo House campaign, demonstration, uh, movement. And I'll, Dean can describe that in a while much better than me. But I was wondering about what do you think the relationship is between human suffering, trauma, addiction, 
and transcendence of spirituality. Um, Randas would say it's, it's all grist for the mill. Randas, he lives up in Bladen. Popo, doesn't he? He's Bladen. Frida, that's his brother. Frida. <laughs> Randas is, go and check out Randas. Yeah, he was yeah. Timothy Leary, Leary's mate. He, him and Timothy Leary basically put LSD into... They were Bladen. They were cellmates up in the Rob Roy, no? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Tupac lived in Kulak. Like I'm always saying that to the kids. <laughs> Yeah, and Bob Marley had a chipper in talent. It was called Marley's. Great. Anyway, people will believe anything. I know. Uh, but Randas and Timothy Leary in the 60s uh, were two professors and they introduced America to LSD and then Randas went on a spiritual journey. He would say, it's all grist for the mill. All the trauma, all the pain, all the suffering. It's all grace. Um, and when you're going through it the first time around, it's very painful. It's there's a lot of emotions and feelings going on, and and from those emotions and feelings that we don't understand, and from that kind of shock to the system, uh, there's a resultant trauma. And do you think it's a kind of inevitability of being human? Oh, being absolutely! Human? Like, where did you come from? And then you're here. That's an interesting journey. There you go. Yeah. You know. So you talked about birth trauma. Hmm. I think sometimes the word trauma is too human. It's too um, rational. We're going to put a name on it. It's going to have a scientific kind of name. You know what I mean? So I would see that the domain of science, which psychotherapy, you're a psychotherapist? Allegedly. So psychotherapy is within the domain of science. Mm. And that is bound, yeah, by the rational the imperial rational properties of science. Mm. For example, the speed of uh, light. Yeah. But that's not, that domain is not the entire universe. That's, that is, that domain is within another domain. Okay. Okay. Or within another circle. And that circle for me is kind of like uh, esoteric mysticism. And that is bound by the speed of consciousness, for mm. example. Yeah. So you have science, uh, your field uh, is in that, and within that field is this thing called trauma. Mm. And it's very much uh, um, measurable. It's in vogue at the moment. Yeah, so yeah the word trauma, trauma informed. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's almost, I just said it was measurable there, but it's almost measurable. It's almost quantifiable. And it's, I, I think there's a, much, there's a much more interesting quality to it. Okay. Uh, and as you experience it and you, as you start to get into it and feel it and feel all the feelings and thoughts and all that associated with it, you can look at it in a different way. Kind of like what we were saying, when you point the fingers out, if you just turn the trauma around, turn the finger around and just twist it, mm. instead of it being this painful, hurtful thing, just maybe for a second be open to the fact that you might be able to learn something from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So Ramdas would say it's all grist for the mill. It's all potential opportunities to learn and grow and evolve. Involve and evolve into what? Involve evolve into a higher or more conscious version of who you are. Lovely. Yeah. And on that, and we've touched on, you know, about Ballymun. You know, being, being an adolescent, being a young person, doing youth work, helping a lot of troubled people, all that type of stuff. Would you say there's probably, you know, you can't, as you said, you can't measure trauma. 
We're talking about trauma and addiction. Anyone's always been associated with addiction. Glenn and I spoke about it in the last podcast as well. Do you think there's certain types of trauma in, in, a, in a working class setup that maybe other people don't experience? Yes. Okay, tell me more about that. Poverty. Go on, go for it. Poverty is the big one. Poverty is the big conversation and it's linked in this country to class. We don't discuss class in this country. We're not interested. Or, or those interesting things about podcasts is we can talk about whatever we want now. Yeah. But yeah. the general um, way that the media has gone or the narrative has gone in the last, let's say, 50 years, because the first 50 years of this state, we were kind of untangling ourselves from different systems mm. like the British system and so yeah. on. So in the last 50 years, the, the narrative has been this kind of thing that we adopted and adapted from Britain. So it's literally like a West Brit way of looking at the world. And the British are amazing at inferior and superior. In, they invented it. They invented it. So um, poverty is the thing, is the economic thing that keeps that going. Because if we all have the same money, there's no poverty and there's no difference then. And if I'm insecure, um, one way of not being insecure is the acquisition of wealth. So, like, I think that's the whole British setup. Okay. That they're insecure, they go off and they get all this wealth. And they rape and pillage and conquer and blah, 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 all over the world. Mm. And now, mm. we'll see with Brexit, they're going back to being insecure again. The whole game has fallen apart. They're going to lose Northern Ireland, potentially, Scotland, Wales, and they'll just be left with the city of London and all that money. Right. So poverty is really interesting. So I grew up in relative, and I'm going to use the... Yep. In relative poverty. Yeah, we were so. poor, but we didn't know we were poor. But we were poor. Like, it was a struggle. We were working class when, when there was work. Um, and the work, the availability and the access to work was controlled by somebody else who wasn't me ma or me da. They didn't own the means of production, you know. Um, they didn't run the factories. They, you know, they went and done a day's work for a day's wage which is kind of like the setup. In, that's, that's the definition for me of working classness. You do a day's work for a day's wage. Yeah. You're not earning money on stocks and shares. You don't run a scalable business where you can write one book and get paid 200 million times for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you cut someone's hair, you get paid for it. You fix that car, you get paid for it. You're working class. Yeah. So within that, um, in this country, because of kind of our institutional setups, you know, prisons and industrial schools and education systems and all that type of stuff. Um, there was uh, an abuse of power. And from that abuse of power were, was trauma, let's say, mm -hmm. that came from that. And one way of dealing with that trauma is to turn the feelings down and one way to turn the feelings down is to self-medicate okay so you're into addiction you're into well you're into self-medicating before you're into addiction you're into self-medicating sure, sure addiction doesn't precede self-medication the other way around it's the other way around self-medication because of trauma because of abuse and the abuse and it's not just like when you say it, it sounds like it's sexual abuse but it's not it's abuse of power mm -hmm. um yeah and sometimes 
the way I see abuse of power is, is that you have somebody who is insecure, who wants to dominate another person to make themselves feel secure. Yeah. So you have self-medication. And in Ireland, in the 70s and 80s, where kind of when I grew up, it was um, alcohol. Yeah. And then um, other substances start to come in, uh, like heroin. That's why I'm interested in hip-hop, because Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel in 1979 wrote White Lions. When I heard White Lions, I said, that's the same dynamic here. It's just a different substance. You know, I'm surrounded by alcohol and heroin. Um, so, um, so there's a few different trains of thought coming to me. Yeah. One of them is that Ireland, as an entire society, self-medicates. And if you ran a thought experiment in your head, you took the most well-connected resource community in this country um, and you turned off all access to all drugs for one week, what would happen in that community? Yeah. So let's say you're in Clontarf, you're just about to go down to the yacht club and you get a text and everyone in, in Clontarf gets the text. Right, Monday morning, 12 o'clock until uh, 12 o'clock the next week, there's no drugs. There's no nothing. There's no coke. There's no wine. Cake. There's no cake. There's no coffee. <laughs> oh, they pronounce it cake. cake. Don't they? There's no cocks. <laughs> you can edit that out. It's all the C is <laughs> caffeine, coke, cocks, cake, uh, ketamine. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, whatever the drug is, porn, whatever it is, gambling, uh, buying expensive houses, whatever it is, there's no access to any drugs for an entire week. What would happen in that community? Mm. I would say give it an hour and it'd be like the porridge. Right. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting conversation to have. That's an honest conversation to have a hundred years after the establishment of our state. Yeah. That we're all self-medicating, but we're only talking about the scumbags. Yeah. In Valley yeah, One. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not the, not the, uh, the TV hosts or not the radio presenters or not yeah. the barristers or not the Doctors or not the chief superintendents or, you know what I mean? None of these people uh, are, are suffering or in trauma. Or none of these people are doing any types of drugs. Actually, drugs, someone said this about 10 years ago in this country. Right. There's no drug problem in Ireland. One of the ministers said that. Really? That's fascinating to me. Isn't it? Yeah. There was a book out, I think it was the late 70s or 80s, from Minnesota from that end of things called when society becomes an addict mm. and that that's really but I forgot the name of the author Wilson for some like that. anyway what she was getting at was kind of similar really in terms of let's take away all the trappings of of what we call addiction you know uh, alcohol drugs that 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 uh coke gambling blah, blah 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 all that and into kind of how people relate to each other how systems are set up it's very addictive or dysfunctional mm-hmm which is really interesting. So I wonder if you took away, as you said, if, if people couldn't have that, would the dysfunction become worse for a while and then better? I think, I think initially it would become worse and you would get that moment like we got in the first three weeks of lockdown where everybody had to self-reflect. You know, remember that first three yeah, weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken licking the sky is going to fall down. <laughs> Everyone shit themselves. And then we, re 
we started to meditate and go to the beach. But can I, can I? Or, or kick the shit out of each other. Something about that. I, I feel a bit guilty about this. So I'm going to say it. But, you know. You thrived during lockdown? Yeah. So did I. Because I'm like that anyway. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was pretending to people, oh yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Like I do this all the time I anyway. Meditated. My life didn't change a bit. <laughs> I, mine changed an awful lot for the better. One is I, uh, I work in, in uh, a sector that was kept going. So we got paid. Mm. But the hours were reduced. And I got to be in my hammock and meditate mm-hmm. underneath two cherry blossom trees mm-hmm. and go and meet Randas and hear the universe clap. All right. When you meditate in a certain way, there's a certain meditation you can do. And you go in behind the observer, in behind the tinker, in behind the taw, and then you sit in behind that. And eventually what happens if you're there for, if you're there in the right way, you get a little sound that happens. And it's the universe kind of giving you a round of applause going. Love that. It's lovely. And I feel every addict, alcoholic, this person in trauma, whether they're conscious or not, wants that clap. Yeah. And that's for me is home. Uh, or home, mm. home sweet home. That's why I call it home sweet home. Now that that's the segue into yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us about the, into Apollo yeah, House. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that segue there for a second. Yeah, sure. In 1985, in Ballymun, Dublin City Council gave this thing called a surrender grant, where you could give over your flat or your house to Dublin City Council, and they gave you five grand cash, which was half the price of a house, and then you could move out to Baldoyle or Holt. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I'd say about a thousand people in Ballymun alone done it. They done it across the city. So what they done with the voids or the empty properties is they they done a few different things, but one of the main things that they done as part of the deinstitutionalization policy across Europe was they started to close down institutions like Portran Mental Health Health Institution. Yeah. And they can't using one of their words, those tenants, those mental health tenants into the flats in Ballymun. I remember that. Yeah. And in nineteen eighty six then all of those, what's the right word to use? Patients. Yeah, people. Do. Because the drugs weren't on tap anymore. Sourced different drugs. And in that vacuum, rushed in heroin. And you could buy in 1986 heroin outside the police station in Ballymun. Indeed. Like, not just one or two people. Every... Everybody, everyone knew in Ballymun that if you wanted to buy heroin, stand outside the police station. And it was hundreds of people for the whole of the 80s, all day, every day, buying heroin outside the police station. It was fascinating. So I seen that when I was a kid. Mm. I seen that when I was like 14, 15 years of age. That fascinating. Really, really interesting. And that's when I would have heard of people like you and Sparky and so on. Mm. I went, this is a really interesting game. And isn't that when I think it was Noel Guy and Huey Graves set up the SUS Centre. Do you remember the SUS Centre? Oh, Center? I do, yeah. Well, now that you mention it, yeah, yeah. What a great idea. And it was really to try and reach those lonely people coming from psychiatric institutions, kind of on their own, lonely, vulnerable people. It was kind of like a drop-in. It was a great idea. So Ireland had like two and a half times the amount of people locked up in institutions compared to the rest of Europe. So when we de-institutionalised, or when we had... So we had the Mental Care Act around that time as well. We had a thing called, I think it's called the Psychiatric Act, where we started to uh, wind down psychiatric hospitals like Port Rand, St. Edith's, St. Brendan's, uh, Grange Gorman and so mm-hmm. on. 
where did those people go? A lot of them went into the community that I grew up in. Um, and the story that you heard of my community is probably from that period of time. So the decisions to decant those very vulnerable, sick people into the community um, kind of had a knock-on devastating effect still to this day, like 40 years later in, in that community. And that's who we are. We don't have the option to hide. We don't have the options to use money or privacy and security and hide behind um, walls and litigation. So if you call a Ballymun or a scumbag on national TV or a Nakuraguan, as one of the uh, politicians did, we don't have the capacity or the money to follow up with litigation and sue for defamation. Just go back to the neck. What a disgusting It's a, It's superb. It's superb. It's a beautiful use of the English language. Yeah. It's stunning. It's so demeaning. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like high class demeaning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's capturing everyone. I'm Let's fascinated get the... by that. Yeah. Nakaragua. That type of stuff really, really interests me as to what that dude is feeling inside. What version of inferiority is What's he, he projecting? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why what you do fascinates me because you play around in those realms of projection and all that type of stuff, mm. which was the big kind of go-to word in the 80s. He's projecting. Yeah, he's yeah, a projection, yeah. Hello, yeah. stop projecting on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, Ballymun, um, the late 60s, cost a million quid. It was this uh, utopia. Um, it was a failed project by about 1980. In Easy. 1985, they gave all these people five grand to move out. There was a brain drain. They closed down the mental health institutions. They put them into Ballymun. You could then buy heroin on the streets. And then we started to get labelled as the problem in the country. Yeah. And at that time in the early ages, as I did it myself, the rest of us were all squatting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. paid squatters' rights. went into Mr. Rogers in Jervis Street <clears throat> and you paid squatters' rent and he had to accept it, right? And how it worked was at some point then they'd contact you. You had to get your stuff thrown out on the ballot. You know, the traditional, the pile of stuff and all the, the other people on the land and I'll give you teas and soups and fucking... Wow. You know? So there was a system within Open City Council for you to pay... Uh, Squatters' rights. And eventually they got rid of that because of different campaigns and so exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. So during that time, there was a lot of campaigns like the push our, push our, push our, out, out, out kind mm -hmm. of campaigns, which was um, a working class reaction to a heroin epidemic. Mm -hmm. But the decisions that, uh, or the vacuum that caused that heroin epidemic, those decisions were made in boardrooms by people in suits, not by drug dealers in tracksuits. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. and where the finger is pointing. Where we point that as a society, we still slag off the lads who sell crack on the corner. Mm. But we don't, with the conversation we're not having is, we're all self-medicating. There's more cocaine bought in Balls Bridge than there is in Ballymun. 100%. Probably more than 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. 100% pure, good. yeah. Very good, pure man. We're not boy. ready to have that conversation as a nation. Here's a funny, a funny story I heard. And I'm sure this this woman wouldn't mind me telling it. I mean, we might have a little break in a second, right? Um, I was uh, up in fast fingless uh, addiction service, so it's fingless addiction support team, uh, doing a bit of work up there. And I was just chatting with a few of the workers before we started the group, right? And one of them was saying, like, our, ourself and our, our our partner were had got puppies. They were, I think, pit bull puppies, whatever. They were. And they were selling a few of them, you know. And there was someone ringing up. There was an ad in the paper, obviously, right? Mm. And uh, 
And she was relating the story back to us saying, check this out, you know. So I think it was her talking to the person and whoever it was. I said, where are you? What part of Dublin? She says, Dublin 11 Fingless. Oh, cool. Will you take white as a payment? <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, that one where the girl dies from overdose and then your man gets about five phone calls in 10 minutes going, yeah, what's that stuff she was on? Have you got any of that left? <laughs> so just to tie up the last thing there. Yeah. Uh, I am implicating Dublin City Council in, in what I'm saying. But they've implicated themselves. They have a thing called a local area development plan. Mm -hmm. They just referenced it today, actually, in the news because Desi Ellis was um, calling out the government on their failure in Ballymoon after an, another project, after a billion euro project. It's still a failure. There's no shopping centre. Mm. There's no plans for a Metro North or a Lewis or any of this mm. type of stuff. And they're all hinges on this local area development plan called the LAP. And within it, there's a section where Dublin City Council admit that they uh, were instrumental in the ghettoization. That's using their word of right. Ballymoon. They called it? Yeah, yeah, they call it that. Um, and so moving people, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that they mentioned was the, the surrender grant, where they offered people £5,000 cash to get out. It was a big brain drain. And then the closing down and subsequent uh, decanting of psychiatric patients from places like Portran into Ballymore. Yeah. And, uh, and then what I witnessed was those guys needed stronger meds because they weren't getting it was this kind of European idea that we would, instead of treating mental health in institutions, that we would treat it in the community. Yeah. And your whole practice, the whole field in this country is centered around that. Right. Centered around the Mental Health Act and, and so on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I just wanted to tie all that up yeah. and make sure I implicated Dublin City Council. Uh, implicated they are. Uh, their motto is actually, happy is the city whose citizens obey, which uh, is fascinating. Subset, actually, who are made to mine, uh, had them in court recently and they had subset in court recently about all the beautiful art that we see on all the big walls around the city yeah. Dublin City Road trying to say that you have to ask us permission to put all that art up they were like nah they're public spaces and it's public art and you don't run the world the Twilight Conversations I like it believe that the Dublin City Council are shower of cunts <laughs> yes Dublin City Council, we have, we make all the rules, we have all the power, but none of the responsibility. None of the responsibility. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's that section done. Apollo House. Apollo House. Tell us about your brainchild, if we want to call it that. What would you describe it as? Yeah, for me, it's, it's, um. Uh, home sweet home. It was the start of a conversation to end homelessness in Ireland. End the concept of homelessness in Ireland. And Home Sweet Home was what I initially called it because we didn't have an Apollo house. So, okay. Yeah, before. Why? Not, not of course you should help homeless people. Don't mean that. But how come you were Because Dublin City Council built Ballymoon, spent a billion euro. But when I was in town doing my computer science degree, I noticed that more and more people from Ballymoon were homeless. And in, I think it's January or February 2016. Yeah. 2016 is an interesting year because it's 100 years after 1916. So January 2016 is the first month of that year. And I read a report that Focus Island brought out saying that 20% of all the homeless people in Dublin were from Ballymun. 70% of all the homeless people in Dublin are from between Ballymun and Blanchardstown. Go away. I didn't That's know an that. interesting That is an interesting statistic. statistic. Why aren't they from Clontarf? Why aren't they from Fox Rock? Um, why are they from... Ballymun, Finglas and Blanchestown. 
what is it about those areas, those working class areas? Um, and, and a good bit of that area is an area known as the K District, which you've probably heard of on the TV because one of the TV stations had the bright idea of having um, a government sanctioned kind of like bad boys cop TV show about the K District. Oh, I saw that, yeah. So yeah, this yeah. part of the city, um, from you know a political perspective, there's interest in it. And I think the interest is in point the finger at these people so you don't point the finger at the mad shit that we're doing in the IFSC or in in these political rooms. That's a deflection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a um, term that you would know a lot in your in therapy, psychotherapy yeah. practice. Yeah, a, yeah. So in the psyche of this country, in the West Brit insecure inferiority complex psyche, our government plays a game where they point the finger at working class people. If you haven't sussed that part of the game out, ta-da. Wake up. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. The um, narcissist, baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I remember walking down Dame Street, like my timeline, I was telling you, shit. And you're there, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. This is just before Apollo, I think. So that was 2011. Right. Occupy, um, the, uh, Occupy Wall Street had just happened. This was three years after the global banking crisis, mm. where Irish people inherited something like 60% of the European banking debt, which is quite so about, with interest over time, about 200 billion euros. So me and a few of my mates sussed out that this was a bad thing for our country. Mm. And we occupied Central Bank for about five months. You're a bit of an occupier, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> occupy my mind. I know. Yeah, I look, I'm interested. I love the way you casually say, yeah, as, as people do, yeah, I mean, if you we occupy, like, that's a whole big thing, right? Or or it's just part of a game. Okay. It's, we're in it, we're in it, there's a system, we're in it. There's this thing called economics and, and politics and uh, global banking and so on. Many a tear has to fall, but it's all in the game. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, the whole world is just full of stage. <laughs> Back to Shakespeare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, why? Oh, what's that one? Why so serious? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that Batman or Bane or one of them? One of them, isn't it? Why so serious? Yeah. So why so serious? So why wouldn't you do this? That's that question you ask again. Who, who, um, okay. So what is Ireland? There's a little Is question. that where you're going? You're what going away Ireland? from Apollo now? What is money? What is Nama? What is property? What are... Is this a game of Jeopardy? <laughs> these are called questions that I ask all the time because in law, these, these all have value. Yeah, in yeah. that high law that you hear about in the High Court or the Supreme mm -hmm. Court or the European Court of Human Rights, all of these things are specific entities. Ireland is a specific entity. Um, Apollo House was a specific entity within another entity called NAMA. I want to question what NAMA is and how it relates to me and my poverty and the trauma in my community and the 20% of all the homeless people from the city are from my community after we just spent a billion euro to address or redress that. Yeah. But nobody in my community at that time could buy properties because of a thing called Section 23. Only people who were Section 23 compliant, people with money, developers, property owners, big landlords, could buy properties, could buy a commodity or an asset in my community. The asset is not owned in my community. The rent is paid from people in my community, but they work in jobs where they don't own the means of production. 
Can you see the way all the yeah, kind of cogs yeah. play around? I just get in there and have fun. The central bank was one of those cogs in that wheel that I wanted to question, that I wanted to play around with and understand. I think Sun Tzu kind of says, know your enemy. Know what they're into, what motivates them, their decision-making process. The art of war. Yeah, the yeah. art of war. Okay. Basically. And the art of war is a game. Basically, it's a, it's a game system mm. analogy. Game comes to war, game comes to war. Tell, so tell us, did you realise that Home Home and then into a pilot would, would grow as it did, become such a phenomenon? Well, I kind of, um, so I was studying a lot of different things or trying to master a lot of different things in the preceding five years. Um, one of the big ones was uh, computer science and algorithms. We, we, this week is the week where the AI became sentient. So this is the realest shit you could imagine. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. All that, all those Google portfolios and all that, they're all tied to mathematics, to algorithms, to computer science. So study that, study economics, study philosophy, which I've been doing for, for a long time. Since you were a child. Yeah. <laughs> study politics, uh, game systems, all that type of stuff. Uh, so for five years, I was kind of tidying all that up and then looking at what resources were required, like unions and legal and celebrity and building assets and all that sort of stuff, kind of teeing all that. And then inviting people in to play the game with me, uh, like Glenn, mm. like uh, Brendan Ogle, mm. um, oh, and, and many, many other people. Yeah, of course. We mentioned earlier on that... Uh, I thought it was a, a beautiful exchange where I think you were first trying to, I don't know how much coaxing you had to do with Glenn, but you were having the conversation. And then Glenn says to you, I'd follow you into hell. Dean. You said you might have to. You just might have to. You just might have to. So we were in, um, what's the little jazzy place there on the Camden Street? The JJ's? JJ's. There is a JJ's up there. I think that's where we were. Me, Damon MC, and Glenn. And we were up watching uh, Made of Air's Fikre and his band, the mm. Straw Hall, the Straw Hall band. They were playing, and Damon's going, "What's going on? What are you doing?" And blah blah blah. I think the last time we had a decent conversation was when he played outside uh, the Central Bank at Occupy, because mm. you know he's traveling the world, he's gigging, he's writing mm. songs, and da 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 da. da. Mm. He said, "Where are we at? What are we doing? What's going on?" And I said, "Look." Um, 20% of all the homeless people I just found out are from the community we grew up in. Mm. It's interesting. What are we, you know? And he said, okay, well, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, we're thinking about doing a few different things mm. uh, along the lines of what we had done at the central bank, which was a, like a six-month occupation. And he said, he said, well, I'm down, I'm in. That's <laughs> the next conversation we had was, are you right? We're in, we're on. Let's do it. What else do we need? Who else do we need? Um, and what, uh, yeah, for me, it was, it's, it's a great honor and privilege to have people like Glenn or Jim Sheridan or mm -hmm. Brendan Ogle mm -hmm. uh, associated or available to and willing. get involved in something like this, which as uh, I think Glenn called it. It was an intervention. Intervention. You know, there was something broken. There was something stinking. There was a lot of tr pain and trauma. And it was all the guys that we grew up around. Hmm. 
you know. So they they were us. They they that's our tribe. They're the people that we understand and we can relate to. And actually, it was us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like in in my life and my experience, there's been homelessness in glens as well. Mm. Um, we kind of we knew this. So we started to meet and plot and scheme and plan and invite other people in who for the common good, which is an interesting phrase, which I think is in our constitution. It is. Common good. Common good, yeah. What is that? Yeah. And then what is NAME? You know, National Asset Management Association. What is that? Legally, what, what does that mean? And what are the assets and who owns them? They belong to the state or the people. What's the difference? So, I did, did you realize it was growth? Sorry for interrupting. Did you realize because it really did take off, didn't it? Like, kind of the way I planned it and teed it up, and because I had done various types of this type of occupation before, mm. and various types of marches and activism, and I kind of learned that from my ma. Wasn't your first rodeo? Wasn't my first rodeo. So, your ma was politically quite aware. My ma was, yeah, like, my ma would have been one of those women who would have fought for stuff in the community. Like they would have gone around door to door and collected money to build the first community centre in the top of Hopping Tree in Ballymun. All right. Uh, or, you know, she she would have, I'm not sure, sure she'd done it herself, but she would have known a lot of the women involved in going up the north on the train to get condoms. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that type of... Yeah. That type Queenie of and Vicky and all that. Yeah, they'd yeah, have all yeah, been yeah. there. And, and Nell McPherson and all those yeah, types of heads. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I don't know if your listeners know, but in Ireland, up until very recently, contraceptives were illegal. Homosexuality was illegal. There was a range of stuff that was like, you could get locked up for. Mm. One of them was mental health issues in Port Ran and Grange Gorman and so on. Um, and I, I see homelessness as part of that group. Homelessness... Uh, Although we might think it's the pissy, smelly, 50-year-old, drunk line in Abbey Street, mm-hmm. it's not. That's a myth. The reality is it's Tina who has a degree in nursing yeah. and our two kids living in a car in Cork. That's what it is. And it's been that for a while. We talked about that old stereotype of the homeless. I knew that back in, in the early 80s when I worked in Simon that time when it was it was kind of looked that way even though it wasn't the full picture but it's really really important to give an accurate description so I think we're ready for that conversation and that's why I, I done Home Sweet Home because I think it's it's right started that conversation I started that conversation in the week before Christmas 100 years after uh, we had uh, a revolution in this country I think it's time for another evolution and there's a difference there you said evolution yeah yeah, yeah I got that yeah it's Go time on. to grow up Time to grow up. Love it. I've said this a number of times. I think for every, we're like dogs. For every 10 years, we grew up one. So we're a 10-year-old child. We're not fully uh, emotionally aware. We still play ridiculous games like inferior and superior and finger pointing and mm-hmm. those scumbag travelers and those scumbag mm-hmm. walking past people and mm-hmm. those scumbag black refugees, but not the scumbag white refugees. You know, the black, taking all our women and our jobs. You know what I mean? Bastards. And we yeah. learned those tricks from the best, from the Brits, sure. who were putting black refugees back on planes back to Rwanda. So that's how I see it all playing out. Um, specific for a, a home sweet home, I had done 
It wasn't my first rodeo. I'd done all the research. I brought all the pieces onto the chessboard. Mm. And just at the last moment, I stopped playing chess and I played another game. Yeah. And that game was. The analogy is it's a game, a Chinese game called Go. I don't know if you know it. No. But chess looks really complicated. I like chess. Yeah, yeah. It looks complicated, but yeah. the strategies are so simple. Yeah. Go is. The moves are really simple. So in chess, the moves are a bit difficult, but yeah. the strategy is simple. In Go, the moves are so simple. The strategy is so, so superior. It's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, oh, you just moved that from there to there. Well, no. Because you're going into the Sun Tzu art of war, death wall kind of scenarios and all that. You're setting those, some of those up purposefully in order to invite a reaction. Which is what you were doing. Which is what I wanted to do. I wanted, you, to, I wanted to avoid a domestic and international reaction. You certainly got that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you certainly got that. I mean, obviously we have, there's a few podcasts for Apollo alone, but with hindsight after that, you know, successes, regrets. Oh, it nearly killed me, by the way. Tell us about that. Oh, well, I was, so when you play a game and you are tied to or you, you are attached to the outcome and you don't get the outcome, you have, you feel stuff, you know? Betrayed, let down, inferior, shallow, hollow, all these types of things. So that kind of led to me spiraling down into a depression where I was in a bedroom with the curtains closed for six months, rocking back and forward. It's fascinating. Fascinating. And fi- as you said, that hit my gut. As, as kind of like visceral and fascinating yeah. absolutely like well, here's a man who has spent his life connecting people speaking for the people with, <coughs> excuse me without a voice or who are a bit you know disenfranchised you've done a lot of that right up to Apollo you know getting in behind the systems and what it's all about and there's you it, it's, it's just struck me as quite sad and lonely beautiful though yeah it's I hear beautiful. that it's very human absolutely you're there you we, did you get much support then uh, from um, from my partner at the time, mm, mm. Um, from my family, <coughs> from my doctor, uh, from friends. Some of the guys that I'd done Apollo House were going through similar things at the same time because yeah. it was like going to war. Yeah. Basically, that's what we were doing. Yeah. Sun Tzu and all that. We A were lot going of post-traumatic stress. We were all, all in Donnie Brasco. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, but tied, we were tied to the, I think we were tied to the outcome. I was tied to the outcome as opposed to just setting up the game and letting it play. It's hard not to be tied to it. I imagine, I can only imagine to, to not hope for an outcome. Well, you kind of, you're all of the things that you've learned and your understanding of all the systems and all the games, say, have very clear, smart objectives and know when you've achieved your objectives. You know what I mean? There's no point in having these, um, unclear objectives like we want to end homelessness so how do you know you've done that mm-hmm. you know what i wanted to do I had two objectives one is that set up an experiment that for one month could we change something in the system that resulted in nobody dying of homelessness on the streets of dublin uh in the month of december and so how do we know when we achieve that when December was over, we looked around and nobody was dead. Boom. That works. Now, two people have died every month on the streets since Apollo House in Dublin. Um, and more in hostels. Like, 
huge amounts of people die from homelessness yeah. in hostels all the time. But for that one month, I just wanted to see, could we do one month where nobody dies on the streets of homelessness? Objective one, achieved. Objective two was to start a national conversation to end homelessness. How do you know you've done that? Well, at the next election, the number one issue on the political um, lists for all the parties was homelessness. And actually, and I didn't plan this, but it was kind of like um, an externality, something that happened that I didn't predict or control. That. So we've had Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as two parties swapping seats for the last 100 years. Mm. And that year after Apollo House was the end of that system. When you said swapping swapping seats, I heard swapping spits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. probably were, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Swapping secrets, swapping yeah. brown envelopes, swapping whatever. Yeah. But that game is over now. Okay. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as two separate power, um, two separate power pieces doesn't exist anymore. It's now Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael as one piece yeah. on the board. So I would like to think that what we done had a small part in that because we forced homelessness to the top of the list uh, and it invited change, which was like uh, the alternative conversation to have in the country as opposed to conservative conservatism, which yeah. is let's stay on this path here where we have neoliberalism and we're going to privatise absolutely everything, including, including housing and water and blah, blah, blah. We had this other possible one called change. We're going to change something in this. Progressive. Yeah. Just bring us back to you in your room and that, as you call it, a fascinating process, but I imagine quite a difficult process. S such a come down, such a, a, I'm trying to imagine what that must have been like, you know, and, and, and you know, I know you got support from your partner at the time, your family, doctor. How long did that go on for you? And were you getting hassle off anybody? Yeah, getting huge hassle. Um, so, when they're not going with you, they're going again, you. Okay. And we had the wind at our back for a, for a, you know, everyone's seen that we had a wind at the back for the first couple of weeks and then the wind turns and then it's all, it's all at war. It's daggers. It's everyone's getting that character assassinated. People are being accused of everything. Uh, and the classic things that happen that people get accused of, um, sexual crimes, and money crimes, all these types of stuff. Like you see Julian Lassange there just getting extra, extradited this week. He's being accused of all types of stuff, sexual some stuff as well, you know what right. I mean? So all these stuff, that's what, that's what happens. Um, whoever's in power, they know that these uh, slights of character are very, very effective because they have experience in them. A smear campaign. Yeah, a smear campaigns, all this type of stuff. So all of that, one of the hardest things was um, something that I, I knew before but didn't know the extent of it was how agent provocateurs work. Mm -hmm. Or you have plants. You have people that present as an ally but actually they're in there to store shit up and, call and agitate. You had a few of them? A few of them. And like, you know, um, in this country we've had them you know, with the IRA and CI5 and all that. We've had them for, for years. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, there was some slight variations in how it was played this time, yeah. you know? And, and you're getting like, we've been getting phone calls off the Church of Scientology and the INLA, you know, one person offering you all the help in the world and the other person offering to burn down Apollo House. You know, so you're having all that happening. 
at the same time as you're trying to hold this deck of cards up, which you know eventually has to fall down. I'm, I'm feeling pressure as you're talking yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's nearly giving me the headache. I'm That's to why imagine. I do a lot of yoga and meditation, so you can get into that. I saw you doing it earlier on. Yeah, yeah. No, no flies on this boy. No, <laughs> no. You, you mind yourself. And in the last couple of years, I've learned to be really kind to myself and really mind myself. But still doing stuff, like still doing stuff with travellers and, you know, still having really, uh, I think, really interesting parts to play in, in the game. Mm. Without it wounding me too much to the point of rocking back and forward in a dark room. Yeah. But that process was really interesting. Um, I didn't kill myself. Um, I went on a journey where I let go of my attachment to a lot of uh, stuff, a lot of the outcomes, a lot of people's opinions of who I was and what I was trying to do and stuff. I let a lot of love in. Something um, very healing, something very spiritual. Yeah, really, really healing, really spiritual, uh, really slowing it right down to the breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I know a lot of guys in the 12-step AA, NA kind of stuff, and their sure. stuff is in the day. In the moment. This was in the breath. In the breath. And a really interesting thing is the first thing you do when you come in here is a breath, and the last thing you do when you go is a breath. So just in the breath. Yeah. And if you can find it in there, and in between the thoughts and the feelings, have a breath and try and expand the gap between the thought feeling and the behavior that's kind of classic cbt stuff you know it's also ancient wisdom it's what it's also ancient wisdom yeah 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 yeah. yeah. as like vim hoff's breeding is yeah. also the breeding that women do during giving birth absolutely it's all ancient it's all in us we're just remembering to remember yeah and rebranding things and call them different names yeah 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 but the the psychedelics will teach you that the trip is always happening that we're always here um, you know, we're always in this thing and that this new fancy, smancy, glittery thing that comes in and gets our attention for a second. It's always been there in one form or another. If I was to ask you, what's important to you right now? Uh, breathing. Yep. Yeah. Love. Um, honesty. Communication. Taking care of myself. Conversations. Mm. Twilight conversations. Even. Twilight conversations. Yeah. That's what's important. Uh, what does Jordan Peterson say? Do what's meaningful, not expedient. Yeah. I've mixed feelings about that guy now. Yeah, I everyone. Mean, like, I've got mixed feelings about myself yeah. and you. you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever I, I, I get a trigger because I know some people that I really care about say, no, Jimmy, yes, he says great stuff. I never seem to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know why some probably blocking me, you know? Yeah, like, I think he came out at a point where there was just a lot of online social media kind of left, right. All that nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. And what I've learned since then is uh, the left needs the right and the right leads and le- needs the left. To exist. And we all just need to walk with each other. So walking with each other. Like, I was doing these things just before COVID for about three years where me and this Jesuit priest were having uh, conversations on the border with the um, females involved in like unionism and republicanism mm. and uh, you know 
Protestants, OINLA, IRA, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So me and this priest and a lot of women, great crack. Mm-hmm. And um, what we kind of learned from each other was just, you know, just having conversations and just we all need each other and we've more in common than divides us. And, you know, um, one way kind of I resolved that was there's certain people uh, who do kind of arty creative stuff and then there's more conscientious people who do all the paperwork and tie it all up. And we kind of need it all, it yeah. all for it to work because if it was all just arty fartsy we wouldn't get any shit done and if okay. it was all just get stuff done uh, conservative conscientious types you know fun no creativity no joy. So we need to, I think we need a little, a little bit of it all so I take a little bit uh, Randas to say he's a Hindu Bud Christian Jew when, when he's asked kind of what religion are you? I said, take a bit from, from it all. Yeah. Take a bit from it all. And there's learning in it all. It's all grist for the mill. Yeah. And if I was to ask you, again, we could continue talking forever to so many subjects. If we're beginning to wind down, um, we don't have to. That was a real therapy session there. Oh, no. If we're beginning, beginning to, to wind, wind down. down even had my therapy voice, didn't I? 55 euro was yeah. just about to run out. <laughs> 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 uh, we're done now you know those ones that just say it's time it's time now it's time. I never say that if we are beginning to wind down so it's a soft landing rather than just abruptly finished. is there any you know I, I'm just fascinated by your life and it's just been a, a pleasure and a joy to listen to you and it's like you know you've, it's like you've lived a hundred lifetimes in, 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 in your you know 50 yeah sure you know no no a lot of living and a lot of very wise, powerful living into corridors of life that other people don't get to see, whatever, you know, and that's very much to do with you and your energy, your enthusiasm, your soul, your curiosity, just who you're meant to be on this planet, you know, of, you know, and you use that really, really well. I think you, you really use that gift you have so well. Anything you would like to ask or talk about yourself or a, Acknowledge as we're finishing. Uh, during COVID, myself and a few guys in Ballymun, um, Dublin City Council again, because Dublin City Council in our community, uh, you know, were kind of forced to close down parks and different things. We set up a thing called Ballymun Health and Fitness Festival because mm-hmm. if we didn't do something that was like positive, we would have spiraled down probably quicker than other communities because of poverty mm-hmm. and because of the knock on or the cumulative effects of poverty. Like a, a lot more people die in working class communities in proportion to the rest of, of society. Yep, you know, absolutely. You know, like a Christmas in somewhere like Ballymun or Finglas is there's a lot of debt because there's a lot of food poverty, heat poverty, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so during COVID, it was kind of like a perfect storm for all that. So we set up a thing called Ballymun Health and Fitness Festival and we've been doing it for about 10 years and we've just partnered with the Catalan and we're doing it triathlon in Ballymun and a runner festival and a cycling festival and yoga and meditation and we're doing a conference on health and fitness and I'm going to invite you along actually to speak at that conference because it's not just physical health and fitness it was emotional spiritual uh, societal economic all that type of stuff you don't want me to go to Ballymun do you? oh my god well you can do it over the phone I, I don't like being around those people <laughs> they're very I mean don't get me wrong don't get me. I actually I, drove through Ballymun once. Did you drive through? You crazy bastard. <laughs> it would be an honour, Dean. I'd love to have whatever I can offer. So I am running that and it's really interesting. It's great crack. And uh, with that and the stuff I'm doing with the travellers, 
Um, so here's what I'm doing with the travelers. Mm-hmm. We've done a human rights picket recently. Mm. And I called it a human rights picket because it wasn't a traveler rights picket because I trying to explore are they human forced or traveler forced? Interesting. So they've got human rights. At the moment, I don't think we see them as human. Okay. Um, and, 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 and as opposed to doing a protest, we're protesting and we're going to stop those people going in there and doing this. We've done a human rights picket on a Dublin City Council super depot in Ballymun because it's right beside where the traveller lives, mm. the traveller uh, community is. Mm. Costs 100 million quid for this super depot, but right next door, they're living in the worst conditions you've seen in this country for 50 years. Give us an example of those conditions. Um, one of the, so we done a human rights picket at half six in the, on, on the Monday morning on this super depot. And by half past eight, we had a, one of the heads, one of the executives who have the power to spend money in Dublin City Council ring us. Mm. And we had achieved in the three hours or two hours the, the same thing that they had been trying to achieve for the last 20 years, which was plumbed water into the caravans. Wow. Such a basic amenity. Wow. wow. So that's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. Plumbed water into your caravan. We had to shut down Dublin City Council's biggest project in the city at the moment cost 100 million quid. I think it costs something like probably 100 grand a day to, to build this yeah. place. So human beings could have running water. Yeah, yeah, Human rights. So uh, human rights. Like human I like rights that picket. distinction, yeah, yeah. And what happened was the workers in their conscious had to make a conscious decision. Do I cross this? Do I value these people? Do I actually see these people? Okay. So they're kind of two of the things that I'm, I'm doing at the moment and it's great crack. And a, and a podcast with a traveller called Traveller and a Countryman check it out yeah that's the one yeah uh, but probably doing about six seven other things feature feature films um, music videos all different types of gear that's why I was surprised I got you so quick I was someone said get Dean Scurry and I said yeah but Dean Scurry come on he's fucking doing everything you yeah know? but I, I I'm very kind to myself and I think the more kind you are and the more time you spend in your hammock meditating or hanging out with your girlfriend or swimming in the sea, mm. the more time you have to think all these things out and process them. And that's where a lot of the time gets used up when you actually start to e- execute a project you haven't thought it out properly. I think them all out. And so when it comes to executing them, it's all preparation is done and then just go bang and it happens. So you might prepare like Apollo House for five years and then two months. Or if you're doing a music video, prepare for three or four weeks, shoot it in five hours. Okay. Listen, just to say to you, I think I've mentioned you before, so I'm not stealing your thunder on the, on the you know, with your Traveller podcast, which is great. Um, I'm hoping, I haven't asked him yet, but I'm hoping to have a conversation with my friend, Thomas McCann. And Thomas has done many, many things, but he... Founded the start of the Traveller Counseling Service. So I'm hoping to have a conversation with him in this space about that, about the Traveller Counseling Service, which will move into mental health. So I'm not crossing into your boss man there, you know what I mean? Oh no, it's deadly. I think the more that we do it, the better. I'm 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 looking and I'm doing a project which is uh about it's a journey inside the traveller and having really honest conversations with them on camera so we can show other travellers because traveller suicide Oh, on sure paper is like eight times higher than the national average. Ridiculous, yeah. And all the travellers in this country wouldn't fit into half a crow park 
it's a really interesting community. Um, how how people listen to this on Spotify or, or all different podcasts? Spotify, yeah. And do they pay for this? Is there a Patreon thing or anything like that? There is. We've just recently set up a Patreon. Yeah. Happy days. If you value what Jimmy's doing here, if you like his voice, if it's any way helpful or calming, price of a coffee a month, put it into the Patreon, and it'll just mean that we get more of this perspective rather than what we've had for the last 50 years which is kind of the state perspective or the RT perspective or the you know the means of production is in the hands of the proletariat to use a, a Brendan Ogle union statement thanks for the, the, the no problem look I think this is very valuable it's really important and for all of my life I've held you in a place where I see you as um holder of wisdom right. and I think that there's a great opportunity for that wisdom now to be shared to anybody who has access to a phone or a laptop okay yeah I feel, thank you for that yeah I feel like saying yeah it, if that's so it's I'm not aware of it, it comes through so I'll just let it out and not try to get in the way of it <laughs> let it go let, let it go, go let it go so listen it's been an absolute pleasure to have you I appreciate you giving up your time to come in Dean and from the, the word from the moment you came in the door your energy was electrifying and encouraging and supportive and it's like it's so effortless you know it's like I just instinctively knew this would be fine do you know what I mean yeah, great. and as, as it is so I much appreciated and a pleasure talking to you Dean thanks for the love bye back at you Thanks for listening to the Twilight Conversations with myself, D. And me, Jimmy. So you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you source your podcasts. And you can email us at thetwilightconversations at gmail.com with any questions or feedback you may have for us. We'd love to hear from you.